Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and a lot of that comes from the fact that the market is saturated with amazing products, right? Um, you know, with the Pixel 3 that just launched and the iPhone ABCDE, right? Like, they're amazing products. And th that's the case for, um, you know, devices, for vehicles, for uh, computing, for uh, homes, for clothing, for shoes, for anything, for food. Um, there's so many amazing solutions out there that it's tough to just say, I'm better, right? Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Today on the show, I've got Matt Frisbee. Matt, thanks for making time. You bet. So for people that don't know about Art and War, can you give us the elevator pitch on the agency? Absolutely. We are a pretty traditional agency in the sense that we do strategy and creative work. What makes us unique is that we believe that marketing is a balance of both art and war. When you think about the way that we communicate with people and how important it is to connect with the emotions, there's this artistic side of it, the creative, the brand, the message. But make no mistake, you've got to turn that into strategy and tactics that are distributed through omni-channel and everything in between. And in many ways, marketing, you're at war. You're trying to take market share. You're trying to take customers that aren't currently yours. And so we recognize the honesty of that situation and and really address it. And so we believe that marketing is a balance of both. Nice. So you guys do some pretty fun stuff. You're making TV shows with major networks. You're doing stuff with NBA players. Can you give us a couple of highlights of a couple of the cool things you guys are working on or have done? Yeah, no, I appreciate that. We've had a lot of fun projects. Um, we've uh, a, a good friend of mine is Tobias Harris from the Clippers, and that's been a relationship that's come with our client Blendtec. Um, they were trying to compete in the performance blending space. Tobias was a user for many years, reached out to us on Twitter, and we had a good conversation. He's like the ideal user of, uh, of a Blendtec blender. He uses it to fuel himself, to eat clean and so many things. And we've sponsored him as an athlete and uh, really excited he's playing great this year. So he's in a lot of our ads and um, our videos uh, on our website. He does talks about us on his own with him and his chef. That's been a ton of fun. And uh, it really gives that sense of confidence that when the world's best are using your product, it really communicates downriver and and it's been a big win for us. We've partnered with uh, chefs like Marco Nicoli, um, Charity Anderson, who took uh, second place on uh, World of Dance. Well, her and her partner, uh, they uh, were in the finals on World of Dance, but they've just grown so much in their brand, and she's a Blendtec user, and it's just been a lot of fun to see the world's best using your product, and so um, that was a fun campaign to do with them. And uh, yeah, we're in the throes of developing a, a TV show on A&E with one of our clients, and um, it's a little top secret now, but uh, we're doing a one-hour special to air in the spring. It's a, kind of a, a home renovation show, and then uh, we, we're hoping to have uh, 12 episodes picked up from there. And uh, yeah, we're doing a lot of fun rebrands. We're doing a lot of fun messaging campaigns for companies. Um, we have a, a, a rebrand that's going live in January that I'm not able to talk about yet, but I, we are super excited internally about it. So lots of fun. Yeah. Well, you know, the show Leadership and People here for title, um, there's so many different directions we could go with it. I think one of the ones I think would be fun for me, at least, to hear about is when you think about your time back at Disney and understanding how, you know, an organization with a reputation like that 
works. Uh, I'm interested in some of the things that stood out to you the most actually being there versus the rest of us who are outsiders. And then secondly, I'd love to talk about bringing those lessons with you for your own agency. Yeah, uh, Disney was a great company. They um, they understand the power of brand more than anyone I've ever seen. Uh, it's funny, I, I got the job when I was in high school as a performer uh, on their stage shows. And um, after the audition and after you get cast and everything, um, and that whole process of how I got cast is a whole other story. But they train you for two weeks solid on the brand. For two weeks, you're paid 80 hours to walk the parks, to go to the studios, to understand Walt's story, to understand the guests, not the customers, the guests, and that you're a cast member and you're part of a show. And that when you go into the park, you're not in the park, you're on stage. And so we all play a part in this show that's for guests to come and escape their, their normal lives and to have an unforgettable experience. And they talk heavily about the magic. All these things and you know when you're 18 years old you're like this is ridiculous really you know um it was really special it it really communicated how serious they were about that and honestly having been a customer my whole life or a guest i should say um you're like wow you guys really think about it and the second week is when it really came home about when the night crew comes in these these teams pride themselves that like they get these tiny little paintbrushes out to fix every there is never a chip of paint there's never a piece of dirt like the custodial department um they are actually interviewed to be great with people because they walk around the park and while they may be picking up trash really spending time talking to people and handing out maps and giving them recommendations on which try to take their family it's a really unique experience that's been carefully designed and so that was instrumental to me to look at you know how do other businesses operate this way or communicate that way and i just would have never thought that uh anyone would do that that they would have the opportunity to really behave that way where it's so unique it's so important to understand that we're part of a bigger story so it was really transformational for me well i i mean it obviously became more than a high school job spending so many years there um do you feel like what do you feel like the advantage was of like spending those that many years kind of getting that whole mindset in the bones yeah that's uh i honestly thought i'd be there forever um i never ever thought that i would uh leave and i was there um my senior year of high school is when um i was hired and um it was interesting to me to you know think of myself as like a, a disney cast member my parents were stoked and it was just a college job, but uh, three years into it, um, I was going to art school, and I had, as a child, imagined being a Disney animator. I thought, man, that was it. You know, I was, I was happy to grow up in the '90s where I had The Lion King and all these great Disney films and Hercules, and um, they were really inspirational films as a young, you know. And then being able to work for a company that affected families that way was really exciting. Um, so I actually had the opportunity to interview at the Disney Art Department. I couldn't believe I got the interview number one. Um, and I showed a portfolio and all this, and then I got hired. And, uh, and I, I called my folks and I'm like, I work for Disney art, mom. And she was like, what? I'm like, I know. <laughs> and, uh, I honestly thought I was done. I thought I was, that was it. You know, I'm, I'm good forever. I'll never need to work another gig in my life. And, uh, it was a dream come true. when I worked, went to the studios and into the warehouses where these Disney props for over 50 years were being stored. I mean, it was that, Seen right at Indiana Jones, this giant warehouse. And uh, I thought I was going to be there forever. And I, I never imagined leaving. Um, but after being there for seven years, I you know, was like, man, this is great. But I wonder, what can I do? You know, what story can I tell? Um, there's two things that are great about Disney is the story and their retention. 
people never leave. And so while that's great for Disney, it's not great to work up through the ranks. Um, my uh, next up uh, superior had been in that role for about 12 years. And um, and I wanted to promote. And he kind of you know gave me the lowdown that, yeah, you just got to kind of get in line. And that's not my style. And so... <laughs> I recognize that it's probably good for me to go off on my own and I've learned some incredible things and I can take them with me. Yeah. So now 20 years later, um, what mm -hmm. are some elements of that that you try to bring as you're leading your own people and having, having your agency have its own feel and culture? Yeah, no, I really appreciate it. It's a great question. Um, really impacted me was, the, like I said, the story that um, what Disney has done to bring magic, you know, to people and how important that is to get people to believe in something. And uh, I never really understood that until having that experience there. And so when I built my company, I wanted to make sure that it meant something, that it was a business that could connect to you personally, professionally, uh, in your and your dreams and your aspirations. And so um, Art and War, our goal with Art and War is to be a business, but also to be an idea. And Disney in many ways is an idea. And so that really affected how we, we build our own brand and what we do for our clients is that your business can be an idea. If you break Disney down and kind of dissect it, it's just a theme park that has rides. It's just a carnival. I mean, like when the state fair comes to town, you could operationally say they're the same thing. They really are. People pay a ticket and they ride rides and they buy food, right? That's if you were to break it down that way, but they tell their story in on so many aspects of films, media, travel, hotels. It's a complete experience. And so when we think about our clients, when we think about ourselves, is our company a complete experience? Yes, we provide a service for you, but have you felt our experience? Have you are you on board with our paradigm? Do you have you felt that without us having to say it? Right. And so we hope with us, all of our clients, they walk away, you know, understanding that I, I now have a balance of art and war. Right. And so for us, we hope to awaken an artist that's inside of everybody without them recognizing it. And, and Disney did that. And one of the things that um, I'll never forget is when you walk down Main Street, they actually had psychologists help design Main Street. And you can read about this on blogs, but um, the buildings on, Main, on the, the front of Main Street when you walk in are taller than the buildings at the back. And it gives it this perception that it's like a mile long. And really, it's like 217 yards, right? Um, they waft vanilla extract through vents on the street. And so you're you're being incepted, right? You're, you're immediately hungry. Even though nobody's making food, that scent of vanilla, you're like, I need it. You know, and all of a sudden, you go in and you're buying things. And so while that sounds like manipulative, um, people never leave upset. They're always taken away. And so in many ways, it's a compliment to the amount of money they invested into having experience. So how can a business have that level of experience? What can I do to incept you in that way or give you what you want versus kind of what you asked for? And so when companies come to service providers and like, I want more ROI, I want, you know, more marketing. Let me help you understand what, what I, I hear what you're saying, but let me help you get there and not the way that you think that you're going to get there. I think that's the case with so many things is, you know, we approach it with our own biases, our own lenses. And it's not until someone shows us a different way of doing it that we're like, I would have never thought to ask for that, right? Um, and and, and that, that's true for so many things. So it's really affected us. Yeah, when you think about when you think about the folks who uh, are doing marketing right in your mind, the people that you look up to um, that maybe aren't just the obvious answers, who's somebody that you look up to? Who's somebody that you feel like out there is doing it right? That's a great question. And I would not uh, pin it down like on an agency. I mean, it's easy to 
or a brand. People that... Yeah, it could be a brand. Who's? Yeah, no, and it's a great question. Um, Nike is really, you know, it's so cliche to say that Nike, but um, what they did with the Colin Kaepernick campaign, however controversial, um, there's a couple things that I really admire about it. First is their well, and willingness. Let's back up. For folks who aren't familiar with it, will you give us the quick recap? and then let's Sure, sure. Up. Yeah, so Nike did um, a campaign with Colin Kaepernick. And so Colin Kaepernick uh, led this campaign, the NFL, taking a knee, right? And um, trying to stand against social injustices, uh, police brutality. There's so many aspects of it that, um, that really started it. And so... Uh, I have my own opinions about, you know, why that happened, how that happened, but those are irrelevant. And so um, what happened, though, is that Colin started this movement in the NFL, and a lot of players were saying, you know, I have a voice, and that voice is not backed by an advertiser necessarily. Like, I can say your message, Mr. Soda Company, on TV. If I say something that's on my own mind, I'm told to get off the stage. And so athletes have been radicalized. They've been um, given a microphone without necessarily being qualified by the public, but they are. And so Nike understood the zeitgeist, what's happening in the world, right? And so what Colin is doing is giving a voice to so many athletes that have a very strong opinion about this. So Nike contracted with Colin Kaepernick to launch this campaign. Like, if your dreams are worth it, you know, what's worth sacrificing? It's everything. And so billboards went live with Colin Kaepernick and, and Nike, and Wall Street went nuts. They, they slandered Nike. People were burning shoes. And um, simultaneously, in the background, sales were skyrocketing. Nike was not able to keep shoes in stock anywhere. And Nike was almost thanking many of these people that were burning their shoes that let on Wall Street, et cetera. Like, you're not our target audience, right? Um, Nike is a global company, number one, and they target trendsetters and tastemakers. Those are groups that you're going to be the, the 15 to 25-year-old kids who align with Nike in more ways than one. And Nike is keenly aware of that. And so when a middle-aged you know, stockbroker is burning his shoes, they're super not worried about it. And Wall Street was wrong. Nike has seen a tremendous success since then. And so my admiration of them is their willingness to challenge data, to understand the world that they actually operate in, who actually is their customer, and to speak to them. And so, so many companies are terrified to take a risk. Nike is a great example of taking a risk, of actually being creative, going with a gut decision, and it paid off huge. And, and if you follow Nike, they've always done that. They've always been that way. And so I'm a huge fan of them for that reason. They challenge the status quo. A lot of companies use um, you know, data to get incremental growth, which is, is valid as an aspect of your marketing, but not it shouldn't be the driving force of your marketing. Data is absolutely a component, but Nike challenged that and went with things that they to their core and stood by their core. And if you follow them from Prefontaine to today, they have absolutely behaved in a consistent way, and I dig that. Well, and I can kind of see it a little bit in your thinking. I think about all the conversations you and I have had on Corporate Alliance events and just hanging out anyways. And I, I feel like one of the things I've admired about your approach to marketing is I feel like um, there's so much, uh, you know, there's so much tech now in marketing. We can measure everything. And um, there's so many more outlets with all the different social media channels and stuff. And I feel like a lot of times when I'm done talking to you, I come away with this like, intensity of like no we need to own the positioning in the mind like le like tactics are great and all but that comes after like what is like the force of nature impact in the mind that we're going to own for, for the 
for the people's opinion of this thing we're working on. Is that is that a fair statement or how would you say it different? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and a lot of that comes from the fact that the market is saturated with amazing products, right? Um, you know, with the Pixel 3 that just launched and the iPhone ABCDE, right? Like they're amazing products. And th that's the case for, um, you know, devices, for vehicles, for uh, computing for uh, homes, for clothing, for shoes, for anything, for food. Um, there's so many amazing solutions out there that it's tough to just say, I'm better, right? And, and a lot of companies will say, well, we're unique. Not, right? You're not, nobody's unique anymore from the, the sense of what you're delivering. And there's definitely like uh, qual different qualities of products, right? Some people are at the entry level of a product and some people are on the, on the luxury premiere. But what changes people is how you understand them, right? How, how is your product relevant to me? And so marketing is about alignment, right? Is, you know, when I think of the brands that I pay for, I'm, I'm Guts and Glory, right? I'm Jeep, I'm Camping, I'm, you know, Rustic, I'm in Backyard Fires. And so everything like that, like, speaks to me. And so I've surrounded myself with brands format that meet that, right? And so I'm far more likely to spend money with brands that understand me and I understand them, right? And so when you think of your customers, when you think of your demographics, being able to access that emotion, being able to align with them, your people, that's when the magic happens, right? People get caught up in waves of excitement, et cetera, but you need to understand your people. And when you understand your people, give them everything you got because they're waiting for it. They can't wait to talk to you, right? Um, this, this idea of a community of customers, it's real. And there are people who are loyal to, you know, this blending brand or this computing brand. I mean, there's Apple loyalist fanboys, you, you name it, right? Uh, they're, they're so viscerally competitive on your behalf. Um, it's interesting how emotionally people are tied to the product that they have. Some people, you know, can say, well, I bought it because it's a better value, right? And that may be the logical explanation that comes from their mind, but they were aligned with it emotionally before it was the best price, the best value. Um, and, and those things are factors, but they aren't ultimately the decision to buy. And I could give you research for days about that, but um, it's so interesting to me. And that's what I love about marketing is that it's not simple. It's not simple in any way. Yeah, well, so I have a bunch of questions, but I know we're about out of time for the first half of the interview here. Let's mm -hmm. end with one of my favorite questions. Um, thinking specifically about how you approach, you know, work on behalf of clients. What's a piece of advice you would want to give back a young and give a younger version of yourself? <laughs> That is a great question. Um, a good friend of mine uh, years ago told me about uh, a slogan that used to be on top of an agency he worked at, and it said, fail fast. And so I wouldn't change what brought me to this place because those failures have taught me so many things. Um, and we've had successes. Successes don't teach you a lot, but failures are instrumental in your education. And so if I could say anything to my former self is be okay failing, be excited about what you're about to learn. That's probably the only thing I would tell my former self because I did not look at it that optimistically when it was happening. You're I do right. now, but... <laughs> I didn't then. I, I don't look forward to failures, but when they happen, I try to get as much out of them as I can. I'm like, great, what can I learn from this? I did not have that attitude years ago. Love it. Okay, everybody, tune back in for part two of our interview with Matt. Thanks.